Married with Children podcast listeners, this is Stephen, your Married with Children historian, and it is with a heavy heart the whole podcast crew, including Alex, Annabelle, Matt, myself, Tyler, Luigi, and Chris have to announce the death of Larry Storch. He died on July 8th at the age of 99. Lawrence Samuel Storch was born January 8, 1923. His acting went across all forms of media, ranging from cartoon voiceovers to the live stage to television and movies. In television, he was best known for being Corporal Angram in F Troop, He was also known for being a recurring alcoholic on Car 54, Where Are You?, which we discuss in this particular show. He has also had numerous television appearances, including Get Smart, Sergeant Bilko, Chips, Fantasy Island, Emergency, The Flying Nun, I Dream of Jeannie, Gomer Pyle, Gilligan's Island, and Love American Style. He has also appeared in many movies, very classic movies, including Who Was That Lady, Captain Newman, M.D., Sex and the Single Girl, The Great Race, Bus Riley's Back in Town, The Funny Feeling, The Great Bank Robbery, and The Happy Hooker Goes to Washington. He married actress Norma Catherine Green on July 10, 1961, and they remained married until her death back in 2003 at the age of 81. We want to leave you with a few of his great clips from Car 54, Where Are You? Also from F Troop. And when he made his guest appearance on Married with Children in Something Larry, This Way Comes. You're going to be George Washington. First in war, first in peace. Me? First in the hearts of his F Troop buddies. General Washington, sir, we salute you. It'll never work, I tell you. Braving Arrow may be feeble, but he's not feeble-minded. Hang on, hold still. If he falls for this, I'm Napoleon. You're not Napoleon, you're George Washington. I know, I know, I can tell by my curls. Hang on, please be quiet. I can't get this hat to fit. Yeah, well, he can't help it if it's a three-cornered hat and he's got a four-cornered head. (laughs) Please do this, Corporal Agon. You're the only chance we have at ever getting a square meal again. Well, if you put it that way, sir. All right. Now, remember what all you know about Washington. It's a hundred miles from Passaic. George Washington. And remember, you were born in 1732. When did I die? You didn't die. I didn't, eh? Well, that makes me feel better. Now, remember, you once threw a dollar across the Potomac. (laughs) I'm very reckless with my money. Now, what was your wife's name? Mrs. Washington. Her first name? Mrs. George Washington. How do I know? No, no, no. Your wife's name was Martha Custis, and she was a wealthy widow. Wealthy, huh? No wonder I'm reckless with my money. Now, remember, at the end of the war, you said goodbye to your faithful officers at Francis Tavern. Farewell, my brave soldiers. But before I go, could I have a nice thick steak smothered with onions? How about spaghetti with metal tips? Everything depends on you, Corporal. I'll never touch another drop again. Did you hear that, fellas? He'll never touch another drop. Let's give him another chance. Got there. 
Charlie. If we give you another chance, I'll never forget you guys. If we give you the money, I'll go right by those bars on the way to that school as if they don't exist. Did you hear that, fellas? He'll pass up every bar on the way to the school. The first one I hit is that Atlantic Bar and Grill. But I never go there anymore. For a quarter, they give you a shot like that. Boom. Who needs it? Good boy, Charlie. Keep going, Charlie. The next one I hit is that Mandalay Lounge. They give you a shot like that. Boom. <laughs> the biggest shot in the Bronx. But you know something? I'm going to go right by that one. The next one I hit is that Ace of Spades Bar and Grill. The friendliest bar and grill, and for every two shots you buy, boom, boom. The bartender buys you. Boom. But I'm going to keep on going. Which brings me to the Blue Diamond Cafe. Now there's a bar. For every shot you buy, the bartender gives you a beer chaser. Boom, boom. There's a bar with art. You're going to pass it right by, huh, Charlie? Who's going to pass it by? Why don't you mind your own business? Why don't you have that good stop picking on Sweet ass! Where'd he get it? <laughs> Captain, he, he doesn't need it anymore. All he has to do is think about it. Oh, there's your father and his Dodge. <laughs> no, no, that's Larry Storch and his Dodge. Now listen, bud, tonight is very, very important to me. Just try to treat him with the respect a man of his stature deserves, okay? One bullet. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Storch. Huh. I'd like to introduce you to my lovely family, but huh. we'll just go with what's here. Uh, <laughs> this is my mom, Peggy. Uh, how do you do? How do you do, Mr. Storch? I just loved you in a D cup. <laughs> That's F troop. <laughs> and, uh, this is our dog, Buck. Ah, charming. Here. Oh, there's our favorite clock. Oh, <laughs> oh, and here's the hat my dad bought so you could hit him over the head with it. <laughs> oh, and uh, here's our favorite can of... Hey, him! Um, and there's my brother, Bud. Oh, the kid with the rubber woman. <laughs> Kelly did a brilliant, brilliant monologue in class depicting your sad, pathetic life. I laughed, I cried, and now that I meet you, I'm laughing again. <laughs> If I could just borrow some jumper cables, why, we can get the show on the road. Uh, not just yet. You see, my husband really wants to meet you, and he's still at work. He's a huge fan of yours. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, in his defense, he's also a shoe salesman. <laughs> so there you have it, Mary, we're children fans. We want to take a moment to remember Larry's great sense of humor and the laughs that he brought us and his connection to the Marywood Children universe. Goodbye, Larry. You will be missed.
you believe that show is still on the air? It's a classic. I love it. Except for the stupid neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back, Married with Children fans. This is Steven, and I can't believe this podcast is still on. And I'm Tyler, and can we take five guys? My thong's riding up. <laughs> and this is Luigi. My pop was a cop. Top cop, just like his pop, grandpa, both top cops. Steven, make me stop. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, well, hey, I'll read from Dr. Seuss's Hop on Pop. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're a pop, I'm not hopping on you, Steven. <laughs> Good job, Luigi. Uh, I was I was wondering if one of us would have chosen that line, but I, I wouldn't because I would have screwed it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are here to review Kelly's Gotta Have It. This is from season 11, episode 3. It first aired on October 12, 1996. Written by Laurie LeGrosse and Gary Bowen. Directed by our, our favorite, Amanda Beers. Guest starring Dan Tullis Jr. as Officer Dan. Nancy Lenari as Sister Bene- Benedicta. David Pressman as Mike. Peter Kerr as Cab Driver. Terrence Flack as Real Cop, Brian Rasmussen as Burglar, Jerry Locke as Old Lady, Louis Dauber as Sketch Artist, Bert Cook as Cab Driver 2, and Tina Yothers as Tina Yothers. In order to get a $20,000 contract of a model for a national olive oil brand, Kelly has to sign a morals clause, which requires it to remain chaste. This proves to be a difficult task. Meanwhile, Al hears that Officer Dan is appearing on Al's favorite TV show, Cops, and blackmails him to become his partner. Reality bites, kicks, and shoots back for real-life action. Catch a brand-new Cops, then... Drop yourself in, camera boys! We're going for a ride! Look who's joining the Chicago PD. Florida, I always wanted to say that. On a brand-new Married with Children. We've got a jumper! Everybody stay calm! <laughs> Right after primetime cops. It all happens Saturday starting at 8, 7 central. This is, uh, I like cops too, don't you? That was uh, a groundbreaking show back in the day. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tyler, I think you might be a little too young for when it premiered, but I remember it really like got some really strong ratings when it first came on the air. And that was back in 1989. Yep. I would have been born a year after that. That's right. In fact, it debuted on the day after my birthday in 1989. I was 22 then. God, I missed that time. I miss hair, too. Oh, well. Well, Tyler seems to have it uh, in this group today, huh? (laughs) Yeah, you're the only one, Tyler. Be grateful. Gotta love it. So Cops is an American half-hour documentary reality crime legal television program that premiered on the Fox Network on March 11th, 1989. The series follows city police officers and county sheriff's deputies, sometimes backed up by state troopers or other state agencies, 
during patrols and other police activities, including, but not limited to, prostitution and narcotics things. It is one of the longest running television programs in the United States and in May 2011 became the longest running show on Fox when it was announced that America's Most Wanted was being canceled after 23 years. That show's host, John Walsh, also appeared many times on Cops. In 2013, the program moved to Spike TV, now known as Paramount Network. The 32nd season premiered on June 3rd, 2019. It was previously mentioned on Season 7, Episode 16, Mr. Empty Pants. And the title for this episode, Kelly's Got a Habit, comes from She's Got a Habit, a 1986 American black and white comedy drama film written, edited, and directed by Spike Lee. Filmed on a small budget and Lee's first feature-length film, it earned positive reviews and launched Lee's career. But you know something, you know, you have Alan Jefferson just starting out look, watching TV and Cops comes on. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come to love cops yeah definitely the best show on fox i like that saying much (laughs) (laughs) the american justice system worked beating the crap out of people before judges let them go (laughs) almost makes me want to pay taxes (laughs) or vote (laughs) (laughs) you know i could have been a great cop well with my cat-like reflexes and keen senses I got eyes in the back of my head, you know. Hey, hey, could you keep it down? We're trying to watch TV here. Do you believe that show is still on the air? It's a classic. I love it. Except for the stupid neighbors. Yeah. I love how they get into this meta reference. I can't believe this show was still on. And then you hear Married with Children music going. Yeah, that must have been a big deal back then, because nowadays we're all about the meta commentary and talking about the show within the show. But back then, that was probably not unheard of, but very, very rare. Yeah, but I still kind of liked it. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys remember also another crossover with Castles with the X-Files. Did you ever see that one? No, I wasn't a big X-Files fan, Stephen. Oh, okay. Wait, Cops did a thing with the X-Files? Did a crossover, yes, where Mulder and Scully are found, you know, looking for this strange creature that Mulder's talking about. It it starts out like Cops, you know, you're tuning in for X-Files and it says, does the theme music for Cops and all of a sudden, Mulder and Scully show up, and it's like, oh, we're having a crossover. Bad boys, bad boys. What you yeah. gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? <laughs> Talking about more aliens, you know, or or creatures. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think that the milestone here really is is, you know, married with children reached a very significant milestone because the one of the few sitcoms to reach 11 seasons. I think the only other one that comes to mind for me would be the Jeffersons, you know, back in, you know, 1996, 1997, that had reached that milestone. So I think, you know, that meta reference was all about is like, Hey, like, look at us, who would have thought, 
Yeah. And just to remind folks, uh, remember, at this point, Mary with Children has a new time slot. It's on Saturdays now. It's on Saturdays, I believe, at uh, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. or No, uh, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central. Yeah, that really yeah. that really screwed me up back in the day because I was so used to watching it on Sunday nights. It's like I had to change my uh, <laughs> uh, I had to change my schedule around. I mean, at this point in time, I was a freshman in college, so you know Saturday night meant that I wanted to go out, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I generally would go out after married with children. Yeah, and then um, so after their little meta reference there, I like that uh, behind them I or. Al says, you know, I could have been a great cop with my cat-like reflexes and keen sense. I've got eyes in the back of my head, you know. And right behind him, (laughs) Peggy's being tied up. That kind of reminds me of an awful entry, if you remember that one. We then go to (laughs) the main story thrust, and that is Kelly. So use extra, extra virgin olive oil. It's 100% pure, like me. (laughs) Not pure enough. Next! Are you kidding? Kelly is the perfect spokesmodel for your olive oil. No one is more innocent. Hey, time out, boys. My thong is riding up. (laughs) It's a chastity thong. is a national advertising campaign. Our spokesperson has to be as pure as the oil itself. Mm. Uh, Sister Claire, I, I assure you, Ke- Kelly is so pure she makes Mother Teresa look slutty. I could tell you stories. Really? Look, sister, I hate to play hardball with you, but... Uh... Sonny, I spend every day wrestling with Beelzebub. I think I can take your best shot. Well, Kelly's got a firm offer from the Jehovah's Witnesses to be their new watchtower girl. So what's it going to be? Sold. I love putting the screws to those jerks. Deal? Dressed as a nun. Now, what did you guys think about this? Kelly dressed as a nun. It's the one part of the uh, episode that doesn't make a lick of sense, but Mary with children can pull it off. Yeah, that's um, right. She they can. I, I mean, for, for myself, Stephen, you know, for someone who attended Catholic school for most of his grammar school and all of his high school years, <laughs> like this, uh, this is one of those episodes that tickled my funny bone um, because when I was very young, uh, when I was in elementary school, the first Catholic elementary school I went to, they actually had at least one, if not two nuns who were dressed like that. Um, then, like, pretty much they relaxed. Like, you know, usually they wore like these 70s clothes, I guess. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, but the, but they weren't actually wearing a habit. So that was, uh, you know, just seeing, cool. Ke- just seeing Kelly in a habit. You know, and just thinking of like all of my experiences in Catholic schools with uh, nuns and the brothers, I was like, yep, <laughs> this is going to be irreverent. I'm going to be laughing my ass off. So that was my, I think my first reaction when I saw this first run was just to laugh. Oh, I get a kick out of irreverency, even to religion, even though you know, I'm still practice my faith. I don't know if you do, but I do. And uh, I, I, I do. I, I, I love it with, I love irreverency. I think you got to be a little irreverent to appreciate it. 
Oh yeah. No. And I, and I do Stephen, and, and I do, I, I enjoy it because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, whether any denomination, whether you're a Christian Jew or Muslim, you know, there are certain tenets of the faiths and, you know, there are always going to be certain similar, you know, there's going to be similarities between them, yes. but, uh, but at the end of the day, the practitioners, let's say the, the ministers of, of that, of those religions, you know, whether it's a, a priest or a rabbi or an imam or, you know, or a minister, quote unquote, um, the, they're still human beings, you know, yes. I mean, like, and I think that uh, there's always this sense that, you know, um, if someone is, quote unquote, a, a religious figure, they always act as religious figures. And if you really get to know people who are, uh, you know, ministers of, of their faith, you'll find that they're just human beings, just like the rest of us. And maybe, you know, they, they view certain things maybe slightly differently, but they're still people. And, you know, they, they do things that normal people do. Right. I mean, oh, Steve, yes. you, you were a minister, right? So, I mean, yeah, yeah. for seven years. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, you maybe have some, uh, some anecdotes about that. Oh, yes. I remember one time I was at a St. Louis Cardinals baseball game. I was there. I was by myself because I uh, my wife was uh, back with her parents and I was going to jump over to St. Louis and catch a game. And while I was there, I was talking to these college kids and they're talking, we're laughing and they're talking about some of their the funny things they do and they were in that they had been doing in college and telling me what they want to do and all that stuff. And I'm laughing with them. And they finally asked me, what do you do? And I says, well, I'm a Methodist minister. Boy, they got quiet real fast. (laughs) And it's like, people think they have to put on a front around ministers. And I never liked that. I mean, just be yourself. I have a a funny story for you. A couple of years ago for work, uh, they had us go to like this fundraiser. And I, I wasn't really aware like of what it was. It's like, well, you know, we have this fundraiser for the area. We need to be able to like fill up seats in this banquet hall. The company's paying for it. So, you know, we want you to just go out there and sit. So it ended up being like a, a charity that raised money for uh, Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm sitting there and I actually see the principal uh, to my son's school, who is a sister. Right? <laughs> and, you know, she's at the bar. And, you know, <laughs> so, I, so I walk over to her. It's like, sister, how are you? And she looks at me. He's like, hey, Luigi, how you doing? <laughs> So I think so, you know, I just jokingly say to her, sister, can I buy you a drink? It's like, it's like, I'm being taken care of it. The bartender poured her like a tumbler of scotch, you know? So I said, I'll have what she's having. And there we were, you know, just pounding back scotch, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I mean, very different than the thought of like a mother Teresa, right? Like, you know, like that type of character that they're trying to depict here. But, you know, I mean, yeah. I've obviously encountered, um, nuns who act that way as like the uh, and the actress was uh, Nancy Lenari, right? I believe that was her. Yes, name. that's right. Mm-hmm. Sister Benedicta, uh, which means Benedicta means blessed in Latin. Yes. Um, so um, I guess that was just like the double pun, right? <laughs> but right. Uh, but I just thought it was funny and uh, it it's good. So, I mean, I, I enjoy religious humor. And again, it's it's very light. It's not. I mean, they're not trying to make like a political statement, you know, any which way. I mean, they're yeah. just they're just trying to make it funny. Although, like when we get to the Jehovah's Witness joke, I mean, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, I got to yeah. ask. I got to ask you guys, um, did either you do a do a, a search for uh, nuns and olive oil? 
<laughs> no, I did. I was uh, watching it earlier and I'm like, you know what? They got to be joking about something. So I just typed in nuns parentheses olive oil. And the first uh, result I got was from Kiev's America's Heartland. Um, the uh, olive oil for sale. The olive oil made by the Dominican Sisters of the Mission St. Jose can only be purchased at the sources of the Sisters annual holiday sale this weekend. Uh, the olive oil will be available in 8.5 ounces for $20 each and 16 ounces limited millennium edition bottles for $100. The Sisters will also be selling hand crocheted Afghans and handcrafted fruitcakes. Proceeds go to the care of aging and retired sisters. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty expensive. One more thing I want to, I have to mention uh, this. I don't know if you guys, well, two things really. I don't know if you guys remember um, an old TV show. It didn't last very long, but Dan Aykroyd was in it and it was called Soul Man. And he, it was a spinoff of Home Improvement. And he was a, uh, an Episcopalian minister. He was a single dad raising, I don't know if it was two or three kids. And he was a, he was a, a minister who liked to go bar hopping with Al and he loved the blues, singing the blues. Of course, that's Dan Aykroyd. And I really liked that show because it portrayed ministers as, you know, average everyday people. And Dan Aykroyd did it well. It, it could have gone for another season, but he just didn't want to do it anymore. He was, uh, TV burned him out, he said. And then one last thing to be how much television can influence you. Me being a minister, I was also a chaplain, did a lot of chaplaincy stuff too, mostly in emergency medical services. But, um, Y'all remember MASH, don't you? Sure. Yeah. Two of the characters I liked the most were Dr. Sidney Freeman, the psychiatrist, the recurring character, and, of course, Father Mulcahy. I always thought if I was in a MASH unit, I'd probably be a lot like Father Mulcahy in many ways. And that influenced me to think about the ministry. And Dr. Freeman got me to think about possibly being a psychiatrist. And when I went to um, I went to paramedic school and then I um, go off to college and I thought I was going to go pre-med, but ended up not going that way. But eventually I did become a minister just to show you how much a TV show can impact somebody. And by the way, yes, I was also in a fan of emergency. You remember that one? Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, one thing I do want to talk about, I mean, uh, I assume both of you are very familiar with the Hollywood Code. I believe it's yes. called, called the Hayes Code, right? That's right. The Hayes Code. So, you know, I feel like, I mean, the Hayes Code was implemented in the 30s, but I feel like even up until, uh, you know, I'm going to say the 80s and 90s, you know, there was still remnants of it left, you know, on, on regular mainstream television because, you know, a minister, like a, a religious person, generally would never be put like in a bad light. Like, in other words, they would never like, I think one of the elements of the code was, uh, you know, a person of the cloth uh, was not supposed to be, um, let's say, stealing from someone like was always supposed to be shown like in a positive light. Right. So, you know, married with children being married with children, it's like sort of thumbs its nose at it, you know, and again, and they do it here in a very light, a very light, lighthearted way. Right. I think to get like the Catholic school kids like me, at least to laugh, you know, because we're mm -hmm. the ones who have nuns. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, like I, I thought that, I mean, that to me is like the comedy. It's like it's not off limits. And the thing is, you doesn't remember when we interviewed Michael Moyer, he says, you know, comedy doesn't need to be mean spirited. 
I mean, no. you can poke fun at something, you know, but it doesn't not have to be mean spirited. And I didn't get that from this. Oh, I didn't get that either. That's what I like about that. I, I wasn't offended when um, uh, Tyler, you and I recorded that one. I can't remember if it was in season nine or 10, but it was when Al forms the church of no ma'am. Remember that? Oh one? yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was season nine. Yeah. That was season nine. Okay. I couldn't remember, but uh, that, I didn't like the episode all that much. It's just, I just didn't think it was all that funny, but I was never offended by it. I thought I, I got a kick out of the religious part. Well, that was, was really, I think we talked about on that episode. That was really poking fun at even uh, uh, the evangelical, uh, specifically the, the television show. Yes. Showy thing. So when, when they focus on one specific uh, version of religion, it's different than just, like ripping into you know religious people in general right and like i like how you put about moye's interview about how comedy can be mean-spirited and this really what this isn't at all i don't think mary church with children really went that route save maybe one or two times mostly in regards of sexism but uh that's just my opinion and this is for Stefan because he wants to ask me, he wants to get my perspective on being a religious person who enjoys Mary with children. So Stefan, there's my um, defense for it. <laughs> but we have to go to, and the reason why we're talking about this, of course, is because Kelly is up to be the spokesperson for extra virgin olive oil. It's 100% pure like her. But she has a problem. What, the chastity thong? Yes, the chest. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way how she says, excuse me, my thong's riding up. And that quickly tells Sister Benedicta, it's a chastity thong. <laughs> oh, and you guys got the joke, though, too, right, about the thong riding up. I mean, what else does a thong do? But uh, it, uh, it, this is this is an example of what I love about this episode is that the B, uh, there's no A or B plot in my particular opinion. There are just two plots, and they kind of thematically go together. You've got Al pretending to be a cop, aided by another, uh, not aided, but pretty much given credence by an official member of the police force. And then you got Kelly, who is not a nun given credence by whether she wants to or not <laughs> uh, by a official member of the cloth. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's a good insight. So it's just uh, I thought this episode was just well done. And well, I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but um they move on. Uh, so Kelly gets the job. The only problem is she has that morals clause. Um, but let's um, go back to the story with Al and Officer Dan. And Officer Dan is there again. You know, I mentioned he's portrayed as being incompetent, not as where she has to be moral. <laughs> but, 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 I, but I thought the well, I mean, first, though, I think the funny thing was to me, um, you know, Sister Benedicta talks about uh, she spends every day wrestling with Beelzebub. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's wrestling with the devil, right? So, but yeah, we're going to have to deal with the devil later this year. That's, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, we have another reference uh, to uh, married with children trolling the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> so the, um, and this is uh, the, there were three other references in the past. So the first one was uh, in season five, episode five, dance show. Uh, then there was uh, season eight, episode seven, Take My Wife, Please. That was the Village People episode. Uh, remember, the dance show was the one with uh, Dan Castanoletta as Pete. Yes. Uh, one of the classics, I think. And uh, then in season nine, episode 20, Something This Way, Larry Comes. Uh, that was, they also made a, men- a reference to Watchtower. So uh, I guess... Uh, People were making uh, comments about, uh, I guess, Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on your door. (laughs) But she will have to sign this morals clause. And remember, I will be watching. And so will he. (laughs) Hey, so did you get me the job? Is the Pope Catholic? How should I know? Hello, I'm not really a nun. (laughs) No, but you play one on TV. You got the job. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're going to get rich. Yay, me. (laughs) But uh, unlike your bra, there's a catch. (laughs) See, you're going to have to sign this morals clause. You have to be chaste. Well, do I get a head start? (laughs) Kelly, to get a head start, you have to have a head. (laughs) No, my point is, until the sister goes back to the convent, you have to act like you're not interested in men. Hmm. This is going to be my most challenging role yet. Except, of course, when I played Dino in Flintstones in the park. Oh, yeah, big stretch. Hey, you jumping a guy and licking his face as soon as he walks through the door? Excuse me, I had to play a hyperactive dinosaur. And that bitch Pebbles kept trying to upstage me. <laughs> Kelly, can you please try and concentrate? If you can do this, we could make $20,000. Who needs men? <laughs> Well, except for this one over here. Uh, hey! What? You expect me to just quit cold turkey? I think I'm gonna need a patch or something. Well, is the Pope Catholic? Uh, yes. So, is the Pope Catholic? It's a rhetorical joke question. Anyone who uses the phrase does so in response to some other query that that they. W- <clears throat> Man, this is hard to read. One second. Is the Pope Catholic? This is a rhetorical, jokey question. Anyone who uses the phrase does so in response to some other query that they wish to answer with a strong affirmative. An example of that from the earliest citation of is the Pope Catholic that that we found was printed in the Oshkosh Daily Northwestern in November 1969. An avid sports fan from Tom Peck of Oshkosh was asked before the library board meeting if he planned to attend the Packer Lion game at Green Bay come Sunday. His reply is the Pope Catholic. And also in the episode Naked and the Dead, Kelly goes, is a bear Catholic? Which is obviously a combination of does a bear shit in the woods? Yeah, you know, I heard I heard both of those one time on a I forgot what TV show, but it was one of the dumb guys of the show, and he said, "Is a bear Catholic? Does the Pope live in the woods?" I've got I used to get this one every so often. 
you know, and I think the people who are asking me the question were sincere about it. People said to me, look, Luigi, are, are you Italian? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say, no, I'm Jewish, actually. <laughs> and they would believe me. I mean, like, it, it sort of comes with the uh, territory, especially with my name. But yep. So, I mean, so what do you think of this premise that Kelly needs to stay away from guys? Uh, because, like, that's pretty much now, like, the, the main plot of this. It's like, you know, can Kelly stay chaste you know can she keep her mind off of men right for- well who's she running from you said she had you, <laughs> you said she has to stay chaste oh i see <laughs> yeah, yeah but yeah you know like i mean uh it, it, it's funny i mean like we i mean the payoff is coming later but uh i i i, I don't know it's like you know Ke- kelly just seems to have boyfriends you know every it's her it's her one. I, I never thought about this, but it's there. It's her one real vice for as far as I can tell. She doesn't drink. She doesn't do drugs. She doesn't really ever take the Lord's name in vain. She doesn't. Uh, she, doesn't smoke. I mean, she doesn't smoke. She parties, but really only to get guys. So sex and slash being um you know, uh, floozy, I guess the word I'll choose with with men is her one vice that the nuns would not like. So it's I bet you there's a ton of stuff on that uh, chastity um, and morals thing. And she's like, well, I don't do any of this other stuff. The one thing is sex. Well, I mean, and the thing is, you know, even Moye said that, you know, we left that very nebulous. In other words, Kelly's into guys, you know, it, it seemed like she has boyfriends, maybe like as far as she ever takes it is maybe making out, but it's never explicit other than what Bud says. Right. But he's the, you know, the mean brother. But I mean, the thing that's consistent about Kelly is Kelly, you know, and remember he said that the scum of the earth boyfriend, it's like, in other words, she falls in love with the scum of the earth boyfriend every week or maybe every half episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't, but doesn't stay with anyone and just keeps moving on. Um, so it's like the fact that she can't, you know, uh, flirt with anyone, I think is, is what's driving her crazy. I mean, as we see later as she's sculpting in clay. Real quick, though, I want to say, you know, it's already on the set and you know, the sister says, can she be chased? And Bud says, hey, if we do this, we get $20,000. Kelly says, who needs men? And she pitches the guy on the butt right after he walks by, that handsome guy. And like mother, like daughter. Exactly. I was going to get to that because, but let's wait on that until the end. Well, I want to say this right now that I totally understand what Moye was saying. Like, I'm sure it was a censor thing where we can't, really say that she is uh, screwing guys constantly because remember she's a woman so she has to be she can't be that horrible men can do that but women can't I'm a hundred percent sure behind the scenes Christina Applegate and all the other actors totally agreed Kelly has had sex probably like a thousand times and you know what I bet she's using protection I bet she knows what she's doing she would be that's why I really can't wait for the show to be, you know, to come back, because I think Kelly and her at very like upfront attitude towards sex would be fitting for 2022. Like, so she is very sexually fluid, whatever. Like, she's not 
to not i don't know like it didn't bother me and i think the show is hinting to that specifically with all the uh sculpting and everything <laughs> no you know i i disagree on the character of kelly because i mean i think moye was very explicit when he discussed that you know he was like you know you had to leave it to the imagination and he said it's not as funny if remember what he said he said if if she, if she acts like a tramp or like, or people say she's a tramp and she is a tramp. That's not funny. What's funny is if people call her a tramp and she's not or vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, in other words, there has to be this juxtaposition. So I, I think that they always left it that way, you know, cause the thing is, is that you can be horny, right, Tyler, you know, but it doesn't, oh, yes. it, it doesn't mean that you act on it. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe Kelly is doing what Bud's doing in her bedroom. We had a conversation about that during, um, yeah, but it's the books. Well, like I said, yeah, I agree with you. Like uh, keeping, uh, not showing everything and leaving it up to viewers' imagination is more funny. I'm just telling you guys what I choose to believe. Okay, and that's fair. But 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 the last point that you made, Tyler, I I feel like if if this was 2022, like I think when you're looking at it in 2022 eyes, or if you were doing this type of joke in 2022, it would be constructed very differently. Because 30 years ago, that's not the way a joke would have been done. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, or yeah, you're right on that. I agree exactly. And remember, like a 16, uh, a a 13 to 16 year old Kelly, you can't have that happening. As she name drop name drops, as she age drops her what her actual age is in this episode, a 25 year old uh, woman uh, as very attractive as her would not be out of the realm of possibility that she's hooking up with the uh, random dudes like it's that happens. So I don't know. It's just it got me thinking about how this show would be portrayed now if it was being filmed now, not what the reboot will be or what, what it, what they'll do with it. Because if they do with what they're thinking, Kelly will be 30 years older. So yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see what happens, but this show, this episode specifically got me thinking more about Kelly's like, you know, what we don't see and what, what is just implied. It, It was specifically the sculpting that got me thinking about it. Yeah, and we're not even to that yet. Kelly goes on and talks about this being the most challenging role yet, except when she played Dino in Flintstones in the park. And Bug says, oh, yeah, your big your big stretch, you jumping the guy and, kick, and licking his face as soon as he walks through the door. Kelly says, excuse me, I had to play a hyperactive dinosaur. That bitch Pebbles kept trying to upstage me. <laughs> right. Now, you know, like I... When I saw that line, I said to me, is this like a spoof on Shakespeare in the park? Right? Yeah. Usually that's what I, you know, what in the park is usually preceded by Shakespeare, not Flintstones, but I was just trying to get what the joke was about. I think you got it, Luigi. And it's also Flintstones then and probably now was one of the few cultural references that almost any generation will understand. So you probably don't have to, I can just imagine in the writer's room, we got to do something that's completely different than Shakespeare, but something that every single person watching will know. Everyone knows the Flintstones. And to hear someone say that bitch pebbles, it made me laugh. (laughs) So we go back to the house. So let me get this straight. 
You were sitting not more than four feet away while a criminal bound and gagged your wife. I feel terrible about it. <laughs> he took my lucky bowling shirt. The one you've never washed? You sure it didn't just walk off on its own? And Officer Dan is there. I, I like that Officer Dan had a lot to do in this. I like that he was shown to be incompetent as at his job. Yes, they remind me of Chief Wickham, although not quite as incompetent and dumb. Oh, and nowhere near the incompetency of Reno 911. I am so <laughs> glad Paramount Plus is showing that. That is Reno 911, Lieutenant Dangle, or even Clancy Wickham. But he says, let me get this straight. You were sitting not more than four feet away while a criminal bound and gagged your wife. I feel terrible about it, says Al. He took my lucky bowling shirt. As typical, Al only cares about his shirt. It kind of like reminds me of when uh, Al reported the TV missing, and you got to know when to hold him. Hello, Sergeant. This is Al Bundy again. Listen, I'm really starting to get worried now. I'm sorry. It's getting hard for me to talk. Let me calm down. The description... Okay, 19-inch diagonal. <laughs> maple, maple console, and it's got notches in it from where the, where the kids grew. Dad, what about Mom? Oh, yeah, my wife's missing, too. Uh, what? A description? I don't know. Listen. You guys are awful busy. Why don't you find the TV first and then we'll worry about the wife? Yeah. Right, listen, let me know if you hear anything. Huh? Right, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go to the sketch artist who is sketching. No, I think the shoulders were a little broader. The jaw was a little more chiseled. And, and there was a dimple. There. That's him. So you were robbed by a pirate who looks like Brad Pitt? <laughs> Are you sure this is who we're looking for? Well, he's who I'm looking for. <laughs> oh, man. Brad Pitt dressed like a pirate. <laughs> and did you actually, like, you know, I, I saw it on a big screen. I tried to pause it. It, <laughs> it looked just like a cartoon. I can't really say, like, the sketch artist did a good job on Brad Pitt. No. Uh, but, uh... It looked funny. It looked almost like a garbage pail kid. I think, you know, Alex would appreciate that. I feel like somebody on the show lost a bet with one of their like work buddies. And uh, the, the bet was if I if you lose, I get to be in the next episode of Married with Children in a know nothing role because this sketch artist is does not really need to be there. It could just be Officer Dan because he is not that good of an actor. But I did laugh at the idea of uh, a pirate Brad Pitt, which I've never seen Brad Pitt as a pirate. And now I need to see this. It reminded me a little bit of Peggy and the Pirates. And then Al and Jefferson start to do this thing they've already done before. Okay, for your insurance report, we got you down for a bowling shirt, a Maserati and a Picasso. <laughs> Make that two Picassos, write one down for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Hey, and uh, speaking of objects de art, I'll uh, see you at the Jiggly Room on Saturday. I can't go. 
I'm on duty. What do you mean you can't go? If you're not there, we can't do the strip searches. <laughs> I know, but that stupid show Cops is following me around. Cops? You're gonna be on Cops? It's my life's dream to be on Cops. But Al, I work alone. You lose three partners in a week and suddenly nobody wants to ride with you. I do. See, every great cop works with another guy. Um, Starsky and Hutch, two guys. Jake and the Fat Man, two guys. Mm, Cagney and Lacey, two guys. I don't know. Hey, Dan, does the captain know you rent the patrol car out for prom dates? Good job at eight. Didn't you review that one, Luigi, when they tried that insurance scam? No, that was back. Uh, that was, I think, before our time on the on the podcast. Oh, remember, it, yeah. Remember, because yeah. he was talking about the salamis. Mm-hmm. That okay, was, yeah, uh, you're right. That was uh, during uh, Alex, Dan, and Jamie era. Yeah, I think maybe you did the one about him afraid to wear shoes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. he was trying to get, and then that's when Al finds out that it's cops is going along with officer dan and he wants to go with him and dan agrees well well he gets well well, well he gets blackmailed i love it <laughs> renting out the cop car for proms <laughs> which at first i was like that's some bs right there but then i thought hmm showing up to prom in a cop car yeah, that'd be kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of some cops that have done some pretty stupid things to get fired. Real quick, I just want to say I like Dan also saying, but Al, I work alone. You lose three partners in one week and suddenly no one wants to ride with you. Exactly. More bashing Dan as a horrible police officer, which I think it's him being part of No Man. Just It just brings you down as a as every part of you as a man uh, becomes more and more disgusting and horrible, mm-hmm. uh, like you're uh, you as a husband, you as a as a, an employee, you as a member of the community, the more you're involved in no ma'am, the more you just sink to the ground. Yeah, to this day, I still don't know what Bob Rooney does for a living or Ike. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, you become nothing. And I yeah. love that. <laughs> and Alice talking to Officer Dan about joining him for a night on cops. Alice says, see, every great cop works with another guy. Starsky and Hutch, two guys. Jake and the Fat Man, two guys. Cagney and Lacey, two guys. <laughs> 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 okay. And I want to start this off. Starsky and Hutch is an American television series which consisted of 70-minute pilot movie originally aired as Movie of the Week, and it had 92 episodes of 15 minutes each. The show was created by William Blinn, produced by Spelling Goldberg Production, and broadcast from April 1975 to May 1979 on ABC. It was distributed by Columbia Pictures Television United States, and Sony Pictures is now the worldwide distributor for the series. It also inspired a theatrical film and a video game. And I also remember playing with the Starskin Hutch car with my brother and my cousins when we were kids. We loved that. Jake and the Fat Man is an American crime drama television series starring William Conrad as prosecutor J.L. Jason Lochnever, Fat Man McCabe, 
and Joe Penny as investigator Jake Stiles. The series ran on ABC for five seasons from September 26, 1987 to May 6, 1992. Diagnosis Murder was a spinoff of the series. It was Diagnosis Murder. Excuse me. Diagnosis, <laughs> <laughs> Diagnosis Murder was a spinoff of the series. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just still laughing. I don't mean to make fun of you, Luigi, but that was that just made me want to like watch a show called Diagnosis. <laughs> okay. Uh Cagney and Lacey <clears throat> is an American police procedural drama television series that aired on the CBS television network for seven seasons from March twenty-fifth, nineteen eighty-two to May 16, 1988. The show starred Sharon Gleese and the show starred Sharon Gless and Tyne Dowling as New York City police detectives who led very different lives. Christian Christine Cagney Gless was a career-minded single woman, while Mary Beth Lacey Dally was a married working mother. The series was set in a fictionalized version of Manhattan's 14th precinct known as Midtown South. For six consecutive years, one of the two lead actresses won the Emmy for Best Lead Actress in a Drama, four wins for Dally and two for Gless. A winning streak matched only once since any major category by a show. Yeah, yeah now I remember now, you know, I remember watching all three of these shows back in the day. Um, you know, they were staple. I mean, Start, Ski and Hutch for me was uh, reruns in the 80s. But I do remember watching Jake and the Fat Man and Cagney and Lacey. Uh, you know, first run back in the 80s. I never saw Jake and the Fat Man. At least I don't think so. I do remember catching a few episodes of Cagney and Lacey, but I don't remember much about them. So I, I, I only know about Jake and the Fat Man from shows like Family Guy and American Dad uh, mention it. Cagney and Lacey, I always thought was a... I always thought it was Cagney... Like um, from the early Public Enemies movies and stuff like that, like the uh, Jim Cag is it James Cagney? Yeah, yep, that's right. I thought it, I thought mm-hmm. this was James Cagney, and maybe his wife was named Lacey. This is how my early brain came up with it when I was like thirteen, because I did watch those old movies and I knew who James Cagney was. So when I heard the show Cagney and Lacey, probably when I was fourteen, um, on sadly enough. Family Guy. I'll give Family Guy credit. They do give a lot of teenagers back then. They gave a lot of teenagers, my, myself, references that not a lot of shows ever made. And uh, I was just like, oh, I guess James Cagney did a thing with his with his wife, Lacey, possibly. So reading your description here, Stephen, I was like, whoa, I need to check this show out. Well, what was groundbreaking about Cagney and Lacey is that, you know, all the police dramas up to that point that always starred men, you know, woman would usually be like some kind of, you know, some secondary character. So here you have the lead detectives, you know, the, the, the two people running around with guns, shooting at people and, you know, and doing detective work were female. So it was very groundbreaking show. Is there another show with the exception of Law and Order? And even then, uh, there's only like there was only a few. Is there another police show that has predominantly uh, a female cast? Well, since then, you see, Tyler, that's the point. I mean, since then, there probably have been and there have been leads doing that. But up until that time, 
you know, uh, if I remember even like um, uh, Hill Street Blues, for example, right? That was maybe mm. like a couple of years prior to that, Stephen, I would say maybe like 81. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were all contemporary uh, around that time. I mean, it was always male focused. So that was really what was groundbreaking about that. I mean, you know, I think like in my mind, like I was familiar with all those shows. I was watching all this television. So, you know, to see a female lead, it was just interesting. It's like, okay, there she is, you know, diving under the car, you know, shooting a gun. And that's not the type of thing that you would see by, um, you know, by the police shows of the time. Yeah, it was a ground. Yeah. So Cagney and Lacey did break a lot of ground. And just to throw this in, I remember even Marcy mentions it in the goodbye girl coming out of the TV, um, TV museum. Hi, Kelly. What are you smiling at? Nothing. Life sucks. <laughs> well, I just love it here. I try to come as often as I can. I just can't get enough of that Cagney and Lacey exhibit. <laughs> that show always made me want to cut my hair short and shoot at men with my big gun. <laughs> but then again, so did Bewitched. And Gilligan's Island and Green Acres and that girl. Excuse me, Mrs. Darcy, but if you don't mind, I'm kind of working here. It takes all my concentration, okay? Oh, wow. Uh, Luigi, um, Cagney and Lacey, which one's the blonde? Uh, I believe that would be uh, Gless. Tyne Daly was the black-haired woman, if I remember correctly. Okay, so the blonde is Cagney. Okay, because I'm looking at a picture here. Lacey is and this shocked me because 82 and this is a picture of them and from there that I'm looking at from one of their first episodes 82 this is a it, even if it, if it aired in 82 it's still probably predominantly like a 70s show probably mind focused I am shocked to see a female police officer in pants good for them that they're not wearing she's not wearing a skirt which is not predominantly great for a female officer like, good for them. Like, I really want to see the show now. And then Police Academy broke barriers, too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good point. Well, I don't know about that, but that's my story. I'm sticking with it. And then, you know, I also wanted to bring this up because, you know, Al wanting to be a cop, I thought that was very interesting because Ed O'Neill has been a part of a lot of police dramas, police shows, you know, guest spots, you know, bit parts, for example, just to give you an idea. In fact, his role, his debut, he was a detective Schreiber in a movie called Cruising. I think Stefan talked with that with you and I about that, Tyler. And whoa, you're right. Yeah. And he also got the lead detective role in two series that were followed Mary with Children, Dragnet, they rebooted it and the Big Apple and God, he's done lots of other stuff where he just plays a cop and maybe a perp. I know he was in Miami Vice. He had a spot in that before Mary with Children. I can't remember if he was a cop though or an agent or if he was a perp. But yeah, so I just thought it was interesting that, you know, this was like uh, almost an homage to his career before and now after Mary with Children. So basically, if we if the four of us, if the three of us here want to actually create our own television show, we should create a cop show because they seem to be always a success anywhere, anytime, always. 
You know, uh, I, one of my favorite shows, and I still watch it when I can, Adam 12. I love that show. Mm. It was probably before your time, Tyler, but Officer Jim Reed and Officer Pete Malloy. And they, and, they, and they try to keep it incredibly super accurate because that's what Jack Webb wanted. I'm getting a little, uh, you know, you got to stop doing that, Stephen. First off, you're right. That was before my time and I've never heard of it. But my favorite, one of my favorite cop shows is T.J. Hooker. So which is very before my time. <laughs> yep. Hey, I was thinking of hey, that, too. Hey, Heather Locklear was in that one. Mm, <laughs> looking great. But when you said Adam 12, all I immediately thought was for Adam 30 for Adam 30. And I was like, huh, my t- my it's a TJ Hooker uh, shout out there. <laughs> well, let me ask you, if, if the three of us had a TV show, what do you think the title would be? Ooh, Adam Reno 911. Uh, I, I was going to say the balds and the beautiful. <laughs> um, it would be the uh, ooh, ooh, I know the the Luigi, uh, the Lu- Luigi's experience featuring Tyler. And where's Steven in this? He's he's the he's the experience. Ah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you, I I think I'm weird because two of my favorite cop shows of all time are Adam 12 and Reno 911. I don't know what that means. Hey, mine are TJ Hooker and and the first five seasons of the original Law and Order. So I don't know what that says about me either. But then we move on to the next scene. Bud and Sister Claire are sitting on the Bundy couch. See, thanks for such a fun evening, Sister. I didn't know Apostle Bingo could be so exciting. <laughs> well, tomorrow night we're going to play the Mother Superior's favorite game. What, spin the candlestick? <laughs> no. Messiah mystery date. Will he be a dud or will he rise again? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, sister. I'll drive you back to your hotel. If you're not home by midnight, you might turn into a Protestant. (laughs) That would never happen. I am a bride of Christ. Wow, that must have been a fancy wedding. (laughs) She's not the brightest bead on the rosary, is she? I'm wondering, why would the sister go over to their house and sit on the couch? I think... This is and this is something I wanted to bring up earlier. I love Bud as an agent. I don't know if I brought this up before, but I think it's perfect for him. 100 percent perfect for a character like Bud to be this like just he's he he has perfect agent type energy. And I can totally hear Bud going, trying to sweet talk the sister into coming over. Not only can you see how chaste and uh, morally high we are, but you can also have a nice, quiet evening at the Bundy household and everything. So I could totally see Bud, Bud selling this kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, there's the, there's the religious aspect of it, because, you know, sort of the idea is the sister's supposed to make sure that uh, Kelly remains chaste. Right. So remember, like this is we're going to be watching you. So in other words, it's almost like the sister is trying to, you know, keep up. And sort of keep tabs to make sure that she stays within her morals clause. So that's a, that's the setup for why she shows up. She's in that living room and keeps showing up at the house. And, and it's and the thing is, it's sort of true because I will say with Catholic nuns, um, yeah, they do do stuff like that. I mean, it's it's not to me like it's not one of those constructs in comedy that wouldn't happen in real life. 
I mean, I could see, I could see something like that just because I've dealt with a lot of nuns in my life. <laughs> and mentioning, mentioning Catholic nuns, um, one, uh, what was uh, Peg's mother's, uh, who, who did her voice? Cat, uh, Kathleen Freeman. She was the penguin. Right. And the blues brothers. That's I always right. remember that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, let me tell you though, what really, the only other thing that really bugged me in this episode was when Kelly's talking to Peg, you know, and she says, mom, I have a problem and it's kind of embarrassing. And she's saying, Oh, what is it? And is it about having a period or something? Oh, like hey, that? hey, wait, wait, Stephen, Stephen. Um, let's wait until we talk about that because that's a whole scene in itself that we can... we are in that scene. Yeah. Oh, well, we, I thought we were just, I thought we were talking about the nun. Uh, uh, we, with... we could, we could do the bride of Christ one. I, I, okay. I have something to say about that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of the concepts of being a nun is that you are married to Christ. Uh, what's, I, I don't know if you know this, but nuns do wear wedding rings mm-hmm. uh, because they are like, I guess, wedded to Christ and wedded to the church. And how I know this, people would say, well, how do you know this? I mean, am I looking at their wedding rings <laughs> when I was a kid? Uh, my first day of Catholic school, I was in the third grade. And the door to the room had a little glass window, probably maybe like eight inches by eight inches, right? A square. And so imagine I'd spent my first three years in public school. So this is my first day of Catholic school. I'm in a uniform. So back then, you know, you wore pants, a button down shirt, and a tie. And I'm sitting down and all of a sudden, you know, the principal, I don't know that it's the principal yet, comes and with that ring finger, with that ring taps on the glass. This is like the vision that's in my head. So she she taps on the glass, opens the door, and all of a sudden, everyone gets up and says, good morning, sister. And I'm just sitting in my chair because I had never seen this before. I'm just like looking around like, what the hell is this? So, you know, she looks around the class and she signals with her hands. It's like, okay, you can all be seated without saying a word. She looks straight at me, points to me and just, you know, points for me to go outside. I'm like, what the hell is this? So I go, I walk outside and then, and she says to me, she's like, listen, I know that you came, you know, this is your first day of school. Uh, It's your, you know, you just came from public school. You're not in trouble. (laughs) I says, but when I come in the room, you know, you get up on your feet and you say, good morning or good afternoon, sister. You know, when I signal for you to sit down, you sit down, right. And you stay quiet the entire time. Right. Yeah. And I'm just like, so I was like, okay, do you, do you got it? So this is me. So this is how I respond. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. No, I I didn't hear you properly. What did you say? Yeah. Yeah. I got it. No, no, no. It's yes. Yes. And then she goes to me. Yes. What, you know, it's like, what else? Yes. What? Yeah. Yes. I'll do it. No, no, no. It's yes. Sister. So when I say something to you, it's either yes, sister or no, sister. I was like, okay, yes. It's like, you got it? Yeah. Excuse me? Y- yes, sister. So that was my first interaction with, <laughs> with a principal. So I go back into the room, you know, I sit down again, third grade. So what am I, like eight years old? <laughs> and ever since then, with like, you know, religious people, yes, sister, no, sister, yes, brother, no, brother. Yeah. But there's a great film um, 
called Heaven Help Us. Uh, if you ever watched it, Stephen, you might. I have seen it. I yeah. have seen yeah. it. It was in the movie theater I worked at in high school. It's my first exposure. Yeah. I do yeah. remember it. Good movie. Yeah, yeah the uh, it depicts a Franciscan high school in Brooklyn in the 1960s, which was actually my high school. <laughs> uh, my high it, that was because my high school was the only Franciscan high school in Brooklyn in the 1960s. So I think it might have been written by someone who maybe might have been a graduate of the school. Eventually, my high school became co-ed and moved. Uh, so. Um, you know, so that wasn't my experience, but uh, a lot of the scenes and the brothers who uh, who ran the school, they used to show us the film every so often. There's the one scene where the kid gets paddled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this is patience. And he pulls out, you know, this paddle with patience. And, you know, I think it's like Matthew McConaughey. Right. Uh, I'm trying to remember what no. one of those 80s teen throb guys. I'm trying yeah, to it was uh, it starred Donald Sutherland, his brother Thaddeus. And Correct. yeah, Andrew McCarthy is Michael. Dunn. And that's it. Mike, Andrew McCarthy. Right. Yeah. John Hurd was like a, he was a Catholic uh, brother. He was the more laid back one who tried yep. to connect with the kids. I forget that mean one. And just uh, something interesting in that one. I just quickly looked it up here. And that is Wallace Shawn had a role in there, too. He was one of the priests, yeah. you know, from Princess Bride inconceivable yeah that it, it's a great i mean a great film i remember one of the boys in that like he was uh he was a serial masturbator <laughs> uh yeah. remember that one it was it's <laughs> yeah. a funny it's a fun it's a funny and irreverent i think it's done very well uh, uh -huh. but you know but like i said you know it's it really depicts that people are people and you know um i mean it depicts some of the um you know religious people as not so nice right Yes. Uh, and, and it depicts some of the kids as maybe like more the saints. And, and you have people who are sort of in the middle. Yeah. Uh, uh, but a very good film. So I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I, like I said, I've seen it and I thought it was a pretty decent movie. But going back to the episode, now we have the conversation between Kelly and Peggy. Thank God. <laughs> something wrong well you want to talk about it oh come on let's have a little mother-daughter moment just like they do on tv thanks mom it's really personal and it's kind of embarrassing oh honey you got your period <laughs> mom i'm 25 well don't be ashamed every woman develops differently you're just a late bloomer <laughs> Mom, it's not my period. Well, don't worry. It'll come. I'm glad we have this talk. No, 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 Mom. Wait, that's not it. Well, now, don't tell me you're pregnant. I mean, what would the neighbors think? Me, a grandmother at 35. <laughs> Mars to Mom, I am not pregnant. Well, honey, then what is it? Bulimia? Anorexia? You found out about Santa Claus? <laughs> What about Santa? <laughs> oh, nothing. Okay. It's about not having sex. Oh, my God, you got married. <laughs> no, Mom. It's just that I'm having a really hard time with that morals clause I told you about. I miss boys. Well, you know what Grandma Wanker always said. <laughs> Pass the gravy? 
You're gonna eat that skin? No. But actually, what she's talking about is chocolate. That's right. Whenever you feel the urge, you just take two of these and call QVC in the morning. <laughs> Thanks, Mom, but I think it's gonna be a long time before I become that desperate. Mm. 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 These bonbons are great. Mm. You know, I can't get my leg to stop twitching. How <laughs> oh, you get used to that? Oh, I love this. I thought it was cute, but. I just had a little problem with it because, you know, um, she wants to talk to mom because she's having trouble abstaining, keeping away from guys. It's adorable. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, mom. Well, it's really personal. It's kind of embarrassing. Oh, honey, you had your period. Yeah. (laughs) Mom, I'm 25. And I I like that. The setup, I just didn't like that payoff simply because it's like, no, what I'm talking about is Peggy being a dumb shit. Okay, but because she's thinking, oh, you had your first period, and she knows that her daughter's in her twenties. She knows things how how things work. I don't think it's her being a uh, dumb shit, as you say. I think it's her just being completely oblivious to the nth degree on how to be a parent. Like the only uh, experience or information that she has about being a parent, and she quotes it is by watching television and the only w- things that she could probably think of are well mommies mommies and their daughters sit down to talk about either periods or pregnancies or guy trouble and uh, like that's i guess the only thing i can think and guy trouble usually means pregnant <laughs> and i i do like that. it's not that she's dumb that's the only thing that she can pull from. And she has absolutely no motherly experience. So she's just pulling off of what she knows. Um, I agree with you, Tyler. And uh, I felt like the dialogue was very like Abbott and Costello in terms of its setup. Yeah. You know, because, you know, it was it was very much almost going into the absurd. It was almost like a who's on first type of thing. Yes. I mean, and, and two other comments that I'll make. Number one, uh, we have a note from Annabelle. So Kelly in this episode is stating that she's 25. Now, if we go back to season five, oh, yeah. stud, <laughs> uh, she was worried about hitting the big two five. And here yeah. she is. <laughs> uh, that, that's what I mean. And then they also threw in a couple of jokes. I mean, these are more like female oriented jokes. Uh, I mean, if we had a female on, I think maybe we would have more commentary. But <laughs> talking about what is it, bulimia, anorexia? <laughs> Right. Like, I mean, like, again, like, and those are like very female type of topics of conversations that you would hear on television. I saw Annabelle's note, too, and I was too racked with a fever induced coma to reply. But now I can finally say what I want to on the air. So I agree with Annabelle. I called some bullshit when I saw that as well about her age. Something I've noticed with long running television shows that have a continuing set of writers is that when you establish a character's age, then you get older too. You probably start to think, oh, I don't want to be older than Kelly or I don't want. Oh, I was I was 30 when I wrote the Kelly was 25 back then. And now I'm almost 40. Uh, Can she not be that old or can she be be a little younger something? So I think it's kind of like a 
the the characters need to be as old as they need to be from whatever writer is writing. So they might have brought in a new writer who was writing that age where she's just like, I don't want Kelly to be older than me. It might have been a 22 or 23 year old writer. So they wrote her as I'm sorry, a 26 or 27 year old writer, and they wrote her as 25. So it uh, that's what I was thinking. So the one little bit of continuity you can fudge in a television show is ages. So that's what I Kate, that's what I, I, I threw it off as. Yeah, they passed the gravy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, Grandma Wanker used to say. Pass the gravy. But that's not what uh, <laughs> that's what Keller remembers. That's not what Peg is referring to. You're going to eat that skin? <laughs> oh, God. And then we go to the next scene. And this is when Kelly and Peggy bond a little bit. They bond eating bonbons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and, glad and, they said what bonbon that they were eating bonbons because I thought that they were going to be eating chocolate ice cream. And when she just pulls out a chunk of it, I was like, what kind of ice cream is that? Yeah. And uh, I think Peggy told her, you know, take this QVC and I forgot what the exact line is. Take two of these and then call QVC in the morning. Oh, yeah. QVC stands for the Quality Value Convenience. It's an American free-to-air television network and flagship shopping channel specializing in television home shopping that is owned by Court Retail Group. Founded in 1986 by Joseph Siegel in Westchester, Pennsylvania, United States, QVC broadcasts to more than 350 million households in seven countries, including channels in the UK, Germany, Japan, and Italy, along with a joint venture in China with China National Radio called CNR Mall. And this is an absolute thing that Peggy Bundy would have watched all the time. Right. <laughs> and I mean, they made references like the home shopping channel, a home shopping network. So this is like, I guess, mm-hmm. one of the competitors. I worked with someone years ago whose sister was a QVC model. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's a thing. Believe it or not, uh, although I can't say I've spent a lot of time on QVC I, and I wonder, like, you know, how does that business model work in today's age? Because like nowadays, I guess, you know, you go online, you could order what you want. But I guess how they draw you in is like it's almost a sales pitch, right? Uh, the same people who still have cable connections, old people. Sorry if you and Steven still have cable connections. I do. I do. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I thought about it while I was saying it, but I'm like, I think the same thing, too. When I'm just like every time I go, um, my mom still has uh, cable. And when I'm like visiting her, I'm scrolling through and 90 percent of it is either law and order uh, or news or shopping channels. And I'm like, who is watching this? Ah. All the old people who still have cable. Gotcha. <laughs> well, no, honestly, I've been doing a lot more streaming, but the cable is also part of my condo fee package. So I guess you could say to a certain extent, I do get a lot of it for free. Well, not for free, but through my condo fee. Oh, there you go. That's not the same. Yeah. And then we get into this. Um, they're still there, and I, like Kelly wants to know how to stop twitching her leg. But then Officer Dan runs in. Freeze, bitches! 
I always get this place confused with a crack house. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when I come for you? Bad boys, bad... Oh, baby. Is that a nightstick or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> it's a nightstick, Peg, and I'm not afraid to use it. Yeah. Al. I thought we agreed you weren't going to carry a gun. Well, don't worry. I know how to handle this thing. That's what he said on our honeymoon. Let's ride. Freeze, bitches. <laughs> oh, God. I always get I this house about, yeah. confused with a crack house. Yes. And Kelly says, I haven't thought about men once, I swear. <laughs> like, that was really good. That shocked me a little bit because I got I was just kind of grooving with uh, Kelly and uh, Peg's thing. So when he kicked it open, I kind of like shuddered a little bit. I was like, whoa, OK, <laughs> nice. And I got to ask, Al in his police outfit, was I the only one getting um, the Night Watchman uh, outfit that he wore? All sec- night security, I, dude. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Bubba Smith. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he it wasn't just, exactly like it, but it did have some similarities, of course. It was him strutting down the stairs, the same strut that he was using in all night security. Dude, just the... Dude, 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 dude. I just... It's my... It's probably one of my top five Mary with children episodes ever so i saw that and i was like did he just put on his security uh outfit could have been and then i liked it when um officer dan says al uh i thought we uh officer dan asked him i thought we agree you weren't going to carry a gun <laughs> al says well don't worry i know how to use this thing and it fires <laughs> you know, just like Barney Fife. And so there's another reference to Al as a cop. He would be a Barney Fife. Okay, yep. that is yep. a Barney Fife uh, yep. reference. All right. Yep. And, you know, there's also another one uh, when, um, when Peg says to him, is that a nightstick or are you just happy to see me? And Al says, it's a nightstick, Peg, and I'm not afraid to use it. If you remember uh, the Village People episode, You remember uh, that was one of the lines that uh, one of the women in the audience said to the cop when he arrived. I don't remember that. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) And uh, I have remember it's like it's like it's like that's the policeman. I know that nightstick anywhere. (laughs) It's like, don't make me use it. (laughs) And I love Al when Peggy does that. She's like, is that a nightstick or are you just happy to see me? Al gets the biggest gleeful grin on his face, almost like it's a um, uh, like it's it's almost like it's an Abbott Costello line again, where it's just like, come like, hey, what are you going to do with that pie? And then like they all like wink at the audience like, you know, where we're going with this, just like it's a a, a vaudevillian kind of setup. Because you know what he's going to say. And Al even knows what he's going to say. Like, wow, Peg, thanks for the setup here. Mm. I don't know. I appreciate it. It's just like I love the episodes where I can truly tell everybody's having a lot of fun. And I think they are here. Uh, Ed O'Neill is having a blast. You can tell he's having a blast. And then we move on to the next scene when 
Al and Officer Dan are in the patrol car. This is great. Car 54, where are you? Al, we're car 54. Hi, I'm Mike from Cops. Nice to meet you. Just act natural and pretend I'm not here. So, uh, why did you become a cop? I, it's, in, it's in the blood. Uh, my pop was a cop. Top cop, just like his pop. Grandpa, both top cops. Make me stop. As a cop, you're a flop. So, uh, when did your partner get shot in the head? In about 30 seconds. Now, just like all good cops, we start every shift with an equipment check. Right. Well, we, first, we check and see if the safety's on. It's not. Sometimes we have to make an example. To who? The remaining two spotted owls in this hemisphere? It's killed or be killed. That's right. Car 54, where are you? Yeah. So I'm so car 54. Where are you? Was an American sitcom that aired on NBC from September 1961 to April 1963. It's a story of two New York City police officers based on the fictional 53rd Street, 53rd Precinct in the Bronx. Car 54 was a patrol car. The series was filmed in black and white and had a rotating group of directors, including Al DiCaprio, Stanley Prager and series creator Nat Hyken, who helmed several episodes. Many TV writers and actors cite Nat Hyken, the creator of Star of Car 54, as being one of the best television writers of all time. And uh, Al's phrase of jumping Jehoshaphat, which he used in a few episodes, comes from this TV show. It was a favorite phrase of character Gunther Tootie, uh, played by Joe E. Ross, and his co-star was Fred Gwynn, uh, who played Francis Muldoon, who many of us know as Herman Munster from the Munsters, and, and the judge in My Cousin Vinny. Now, wow. let, let me tell you, exactly 20 years ago, uh, I remember coming home from work, and there used to be this cable television, cable television station called the Metro Channel, and it was a television station, a cable television station devoted to New York City. So in other words, any movies that it showed were New York City movies, any sitcoms or anything that aired on it, everything had to be based in, the, in New York City. And around, I think say it was like five o'clock, they would have two episodes of this TV show, Car 54. And I'm like, all right, what is this black and white? You know, and at that point, I wasn't watching much television. Let me tell you, the series really lives up to the hype. It is an extremely well-written show. It is hysterical. I mean, a couple of years ago, I found an interview of, of Al Lewis, Grandpa Munster, who was actually on the show as well. He played like mm-hmm. probably the third most uh, famous character on that TV show. And uh, it was from the Museum of Television and Radio, I think. And he said that in his opinion, through all the years that he had worked, that that was the most well-written show that ever had ever been done. So if you have never seen it, highly recommend that you check it out. It is, it is a gold star, excellent television show. It's true, classic TV that you, that is hilarious. And just a little bit of trivia, Nipsey Russell had a recurring role as well as Charlotte Ray. 
Yeah. Oh, and uh, our uh, uh, Larry Storch also. He played the drunk. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Oh, Charlie, Charlie the drunk. I think in at least. Hey, two old episodes. guys, knock it off. I have never heard of this show. Car 54. I had no idea. Al going car 54. Where are you? Was a effing reference to something. This is let, let me tell hey, you th- there was Tyler. There- yeah. Tyler, real quick. Respect your elders. Never. <laughs> let, let me tell you, they, they made a movie uh, with uh, Fran Drescher and John McGinley in the early 90s, which was absolutely terrible. Don't ever watch it. It's it's probably one of the worst movies ever made, um, even though, like, I love Fran Drescher. No, but uh, Tyler and to our audience, if you check out on YouTube, there are complete episodes on, you could find on YouTube. Hysterical. I, you know, I, I can't say like there's watch one versus another, uh, you know, I mean, I think every single one is like top, top quality. Uh, and again, and, you know, it's early 1960s. So there's no this was like this wasn't Hill Street Blues. <laughs> this was like effectively like a bunch of bumbling, kind hearted cops, you know, with also with, with bumbling, kind hearted crooks. Uh, Luigi. So you're right. There are episodes for free on YouTube. And here's why I typed in car 54. Where are you on Google? And uh, it shows where it's available on Uh, YouTube free Pluto TV free Tubi TV free voodoo free crackle free Amazon Prime video free. So, yeah. Listeners, you got no excuse to not go watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the copyrights have probably expire, which makes it easy to show, especially on the classic TV networks. Yeah, l- let me tell you, like, there's like one episode, for example, where like uh, <laughs> these crooks buy this diner like next door to a bank and they're trying to like to break into the bank through the diner. So the cops are like, oh, this place, the cops show up and they're like, oh, this place has been you know, abandoned for so long. Here, let's help you open up the diner. So effectively, the crooks are forced to open up a diner oh. and, the co- and the cops keep coming in to, you know, to, <laughs> to frequent the diner, um, you know, in order to like to prop up this business for the neighborhood. And, you know, and you can imagine over 22 minutes, like the hijinks of like these crooks trying to get into the bank. And it's so it's so well constructed. It's so well written. I mean. I, I can't stress like this is, you know, this is like what for me, like, and I've always said that, you know, to me, I'm a married with children fan, especially of the early seasons because of the writing. So, you know, to me, you know, car 54 is one of those very well-written shows, you know, so that's why I enjoy it. I mean, it's a very different type of comedy, but extremely well done. Yeah, that was, I remember, I remember that episode. You're right. That is one of the best things of TV writing you'll ever see. I may have to rewatch all those again. I haven't seen them in ages. And then Mike shows up. Hi, I'm Mike from Cops. It's nice to meet you. Just act natural. Pretend I'm not here. And Al, um, you know, he's asked, why'd you become a cop? And I think this also goes back to uh, Kiss of the Coffee Woman. At the end, when Al is in the bed next to Marcy, and his acting is so bad. And I just think the acting here was the same thing. It was the same cut of a good actor playing a bad actor. To me, that's just brilliant. Yep. Agreed. I agree with you guys. I cannot imagine a writer sat down and wrote the words that Al says to that camera the way he says it. 
it really does seem to me that, that I, I just I want to believe that was Ed O'Neill improving. I mean, it could have been. I don't know. I'm just I just think it takes a great actor to play a bad actor. Oh, yeah. Is, and he yeah. nails it on this one. And he nailed it on the uh, Kiss the Coffee Woman because like that it. line is great. Uh, it's in it's in the blood. And my pop was a cop. Top yeah. cop, just like my pop. Grandpa, both top cops. Stop. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, props even to Christina Applegate. I mean, she did that like in the Larry Storch episode. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you know, she she's a good actress who's playing a bad actress. You know, I mean, this is, you know, you, you got to give them props for when they can pull it off. Uh, you know what? I'll also give props to this. Uh, <laughs> I honestly think this might be a cameraman from Cops because they don't have him doing a lot. But I do dig what seems to be very realistic acting on how uh, a cop cameraman would act. Cause sometimes he's just sitting there with a camera on his lap, just kind of looking bored. And then all of a sudden something like the radio goes and he just gets into action, gets that camera out and everything. And I was like, yeah, no, it, it seems very, it seemed to me very realistic uh, cop recording uh, persona. And then Al tests the gun. He accidentally shoots it. <laughs> One of two spotted owls left in uh, in existence right. in this hey, hemisphere. And remember, Al's an owl. Yeah, owl. Who? Mm. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Then we go back to the Bundy home, and now is the scene you were talking about earlier. <laughs> hey, Cal. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. I haven't thought about men once. (laughs) You know, mom was a big help. She said that all I have to do is just channel my frustrations into arts and crafts. Finished! (gasps) I call it death of a shoe salesman. (laughs) You're doing great, Kelly. I really am proud of you. Thanks, bud. Hey, you been working out? (laughs) Whoa. Thank God. Sister Claire, I just dropped you off at the hotel. What are you doing here? I was sitting in my hotel room when I had a haunting vision of sin. Shouldn't have ordered pay-per-view. I mean, I thought there might be sinning going on here. Oh, what could make you think such a thing? Oh, we make these by the thousands at the convent. (laughs) May I? Oh, of course. The Pope has one of my space needles. (laughs) And I caught this too. Very phallic, uh, you know, monuments that uh, Kelly's making. Mm-hmm. The Eiffel Tower, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the Washington Monument. <laughs> we make these by the truckload in the in the, in the seminary. <laughs> like, just all these horny nuns. You can't use the term a group of horny nuns, but they infer it very well with that statement. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, now, you know, it's funny. I. Um, so I believe it or not, I haven't been to Italy many times. You know, people don't think that I go all the time, but I'd say I've been there maybe about maybe four or five times in my life. And um, 
I went to Pompeii. Now I have a couple of friends who uh, are going to Pompeii this summer. And uh, so they asked me, it's like, well, what are, you know, what are some of the things that point that stick out to you about, you know, going to Pompeii? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, you need a lot of uh, uh, sunscreen <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, you're pretty much everything's stone. There's no plants or anything around. But when you go into the homes, like one of the, uh, you know, again, and this is paganism, uh, you would have uh, these uh, pagan symbols or pagan gods, fertility gods were effectively <laughs> these, uh, you know, very large penises. <laughs> they would have statues with, you know, guys with large penises and you'd have penises on the buildings. So when you're on the corner of a street, you know, like, you know, like think about, again, it's no different than a modern day corner. You have like a building there and you would see these penises made of, you know, carved into the, into the sides of the building. <laughs> so, uh, again, like sort of that phallic thing. So, I mean, I think they're statues of Hermes, too, uh, right? I, I believe it's called. Is it a satyr? S-A-T-Y-R is the way it's spelled. Um, but, uh, you know, that's sort of like uh, one of the things that comes up. It's like as Kelly's doing the sculpting. It's like that sort of brings me back to those statues I saw in Pompeii. You know, and she says, mom told me to channel all my uh, all my frustration of the arts and crafts and peggy says i'm done shows her pa- her painting oh my uh, god i want this hanging <laughs> up in my house right yeah. now this painting is a worried stick figure with the shoe head being stabbed by a woman's hand holding a screwdriver and peggy calls it death of the shoe salesman which is another callback to season seven, episode 10, which was entitled Death of the Shoe Salesman, the Fuzzy yep. McGee episode. Yep. And the shoe and the head of the shoe that the head of the guy, as you put it, you're right, is a shoe. It's a stiletto. So it's a woman's shoe. So oh, specifically yeah. a female shoe salesman. <laughs> I, uh, I'll tell you, that was, I think, one of uh, the greatest podcasts that uh, Alex had put together. Um, if you remember that, I mean, cause th- I remember doing the notes on that, that had a lot of references. Uh, Dan Castaneda was on that episode as well. And, and, uh, you know, and Alex really, I learned something from that, you know, Alex had said in that podcast episode, you know, when on that horrible day and hopefully in the very far away future, when Ed O'Neill passes, that will probably be the scene that airs on television. You know, and up, until, and up until that point, I had never realized it before. You know, there was, I mean, for example, when Gene Stapleton died, there was the scene of Archie uh, mourning, you know, the death of Edith Bunker. And that was very moving, I think, to most people, you know, to, to see that. But uh, I mean, comedically, it'll be like Al, you know, on the grave and maybe with Peg on top of him. But mm-hmm. uh, that was, uh, I mean, it was a great married with children episode but i thought it was a very well done podcast episode so kudos to alex dan and jamie on that one Mm -hmm. i've already taken a screenshot of that painting and i've sent it to four different uh, painters that i follow on twitter and i've asked them how much to replicate this please and send it and i'll buy it framed and all (laughs) Hey, that's the Picasso I said was stolen, probably. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like what you said earlier, uh, you know, sister, the sister comes back and she was worried that there was sin going on. 
at the house. Bud says, why didn't you just order pay-per-view? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of Skinamax back in the day, right? Uh-huh. And she notices the pottery and then she says, oh, we make these by the thousands at the convent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And, you know, I found funny when she says the Pope is one of my space needles. <laughs> <laughs> this was some good writing in here. Look, I, I made Stonehenge. <laughs> oh, yes, I, do, I forgot about that. I do love this sister, though, like th- this woman playing this nun. She... Like, I, I think they originally probably only had her at the beginning and probably the end for when she uh, fires her. But she's probably one of those guest stars who just vibed with the cast. And they're like, all right, let's put you in more scenes. Excuse me, sister, the meter's running. Do you want me to go or stay? Stay! Go. Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm off duty. Kelly, please, this commercial could mean national exposure. Oh, this is all the exposure I want. Oh, my God. Look, I made Stonehenge. Dear Lord, I thank thee for my talents, which are considerable. And Lord, bless these good, decent Bundies. Lead them not into temptation and deliver them from evil. Amen. Sinners! No, sister, this, is, this isn't what you think. Hey, Brad, get your hands off it, but my song first. Lady, you are fired. Wait, sister, sister, she's not my only client. Can you act? And will you wear a dress? No, and yes. <laughs> then the cab driver comes in, and what does Kelly do? Rips open his shirt. I mean, it's, she's almost like, you know, that addict, right? It's like all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've uh, you've put the candy in front of them and it's like they can't mm-hmm. control themselves. Oh, there, there's something specifically with her ripping the shirt open. We forgot. And, and you saying an addict. We forgot a really weird line that I never thought Mary with children would go to, because I'll be frank. I do not remember. I don't remember a lot of the episodes of season 11. I'm not sure why, but I don't remember them that well. When when Bud is like walking downstairs and seeing Kelly making her arts and crafts, she looks at Bud and goes, hey, Bud, you've been working out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, don't worry. It's she's she's just your stepsister, Bud. (laughs) <laughs> like, well, actually, no, well, you got to remember, too, that's probably the Wanker County coming out in there somehow. If you remember, if you remember when uh, the Bundys go to Vegas, uh, when Kelly's predicting the numbers, remember, like Bud gets on his knee and says to her, you know, Kelly, marry me. Damn the law. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. No, I, I, that def- definitely. That's the Wanker side of the family. Yeah, definitely. And. I love this sister. She's playing and Lord, bless these good, decent bundies. Let them not into temptation and deliver them from evil. Amen. <laughs> and at that point, all of them fall on the couch. Bud, the cabbie, and Kelly. And the sisters just calls them sinners. And I like Kelly telling Bud, get your hands off him. I saw him first. Oh, uh, boy. So, yeah, we've 
we've reached into full like chaos that will turn into a complete Sodom and Gomorrah show soon. But I think we need to like get back to uh, to our Bar- Barney and F- Barney Fife. Uh, what wait, I got to I got to bring up this one line that I considered an opening line when Bud says, wait, sister, sister, she's not my only client. Then he looked at the cabbie and he says to, to him, can you act and will you wear a dress? No. And no. yes. Kind <laughs> 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 That's kind of a that's kind of a lame joke, in my personal opinion, after all this craziness that has happened. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But, 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 but you had enough, like I said, enough ad about in Costello in terms of the dialogue. That is true. Yeah. It does yeah. have yeah. that kind yeah. of sketch comedy going to it. And it comes out quick as well. Man, I've seen more action in the shoe store. <laughs> not, not that I not that I work there. No, I mean, I'm a cop and a damn good one. Attention, patrol car 54. There's a 633 in progress. Finally! We're on it! Floridano! Hey, hey, hey. Let's be careful out there. Help! Help! Someone help! 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 Ma'am, what seems to be the problem? It's my Stanley. He's going to jump! We've got a jumper! Everybody stay calm! (laughs) Is your husband depressed? I'll say he's dead. (laughs) We've got a dead man up a tree! (laughs) Stanley's my cat. A a cat? I became a cop to rescue cats. Be careful, he's very high strung. Ma'am, just step aside. Let me handle this. Stop playing that. It's dirty. Alan Officer Dan are driving. Bored. Al even thinks that he saw more action in the shoe store. Not that I worked there. <laughs> yeah, because he's still trying to put up that front for the guy who works for cops. And that's when the radio comes on. Even the radio says, attention, patrol car 54. So this is car 54. Right. Well, that's what Officer Dan said. Because in other words, Al gets on the mic and he says, car 54, where are you? And Officer Dan's like, well, we're car 54. You idiot, right? (laughs) There's a 633 in progress. Al says, we're on it. Or he says, floor it, Dano. And of course, that comes from a very specific, uh, another good cop show. That doesn't get nearly enough attention. No, mm-hmm. it gets plenty of attention. Yeah, even I recognize that one. Mm-hmm. Hawaii Five O, an American police procedural drama series produced by CBS and created by Leonard Fressman. It is set in Hawaii, and the show is originally aired for 12 seasons from 68 to 1980. And it continues in reruns. And actually, it was revived not too long ago and lasted for a while as well. At the airing of its last episode, it was the longest-running police drama in American TV history. And this show starred Jack Lord as Detective Captain Stephen Steve McGarrett, the head of the Special State Police Force in Hawaii, which was based on an actual unit 
that existed under martial law after World War II. Many episodes would end with McGarrett instructing his subordinate to book him Dano, sometimes specifying a charge such as murder one. The thing I always remembered more than anything else was that uh, TV theme. That's right. That would always come up. Great. You know, I mean, like, let me tell you, like that was to me was the era, like the, the 60s and 70s and 80s, I'd say. It's like it was the era of like the TV theme show like the yeah. TV show theme that would get, would be like in the top 40 music. Yeah. You know? I remember those happening. Uh, I mean, Hawaii, Fi- yeah. I mean, Hawaii five Oh, the Rockford files. Uh, yeah. Well, real quick. Um, what's your, what are your, some of your favorites then Luigi? Well, I mean, Hill street blues. I mean, we talked, we've been talking about like the TV themes, but I mean, like that is like, like great music. I mean, like in- instrumental, I, you know, I can't, I mean, I probably got to like look all of them up, but I mean, at least in just in police dramas for all the ones that we've discussed, I mean, you, you can't beat uh, some of them. And again, remember like we, when we've talked about theme music, like thing, like, like married with children, you know, I'm glad that uh, at least on the TV show first run, they never changed the music. Yes. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, they could have had Liza Minnelli uh, singing, uh, <laughs> you know, for example, mm-hmm. love and marriage, <laughs> And I mean, it just wouldn't have the same punch as Frank Sinatra, but um, yeah. I mean, it was just a great era. Yeah, Hawaii Five O was one of my favorites. Lost in Space, I like the second theme a little bit better than the first one. The first one was a little quirky. And a very often forgotten TV show, Land of the Giants, made in the 60s and early 70s. Mm. I like that second rendition well. And then the 80s, you had it with lyrics like uh, The Unknown Stuntman for the Fall Guy. I was one of Yeah, that's right. Yep, I remember that one. And Lee Majors actually sang that one. And it's yeah. sad to see that, you know, with commercials reducing TV half-hour comedies to about 19, 20 minutes at most, they've done away with it. The last show I can really think of that had a significant uh, opening theme was Big Bang Theory. And, and, you know, like, and that to me is maybe even the difference of, like, to me, like how TV is watched today. Like nowadays, like you sit down and it's like, oh, there's an opening theme song to this. Just let me just skip ahead, go to right to the scene. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I feel like in the past, you know, you would sit down, like, at least for me, it's like, I want to sit down. I want to hear this music. I want to spend that minute and a half. It's almost mm-hmm. like a mental, it's like yeah. a mental thing. It's like, you're, mm-hmm. you're getting in the mood. Like I want to be prepared. I want to be entertained. So welcome back Carter, Chico and the man. Yeah. A modern day one that's still being produced that has a good opening is the animated show on Netflix, Disenchantment. They now we all know this. Netflix has this thing where skip that intro all the time. But even though they have that Disenchantment, every single episode has this really crazy ass like uh, instrumental thing going on that's slightly different, and the images being shown are different every episode to foretell individual things that are going to happen in that episode. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with that. They don't have to do that, but it has made me not skip the intro every time because of that. So Al is going to run off to the, um, the, the side of the six, three, three, or whatever it was. Right. I think it's really a four, three, one, which is a cat in the tree. <laughs> yeah. Six, three, three is a cat in the tree. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That stupid line where he's like, "Is like, is your husband depressed? Of course he is. He's dead. <laughs> well, I should hope so. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. And again, this to me was like another Abbott and Costello segment. Man, 
How many donuts can your partner eat? I think he's near his record. You can tell because the buttons on his shirt are just about to pop. You might want to take cover. Man, talk about the ugly underbelly of society. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. I haven't been on a shoot this lame since cops in Amish country. You mean I'm not going to be on cops? Any available unit, burglary in progress at 9766 Jeopardy Lane. Hey, that's my neighbor. That must be that punk stole my bowling shirt. Wait, wait, wait a second. Aren't you going to wait for your partner? If you were in trouble, would you want me to wait for my partner? You specifically? Yeah. <laughs> Strap yourself in, camera boy. We're going for a ride. <laughs> But then they get another call, a burglary at a certain address. Uh, but before they get that call, though, it, mm-hmm. uh, they're <laughs> what happens to Officer Dan? Yeah, the, uh, his shirt pops because he ate too many donuts. <laughs> and he doesn't give a crap either when they because they leave him and he's just eating donuts and he's like, hey, uh, uh, eh, whatever, and just continues eating them. Right. But this burglary was in process at 99766 Jeopardy Lane. Yeah. Al recognizes that one. Now, we know the Darcy's live next to the Bundy's, but we never heard or saw their house number. However, uh, in the season four credits, Steve ducks as the paper is thrown to, a, to Adam, and it says 9674, which became the Bundy's number that season until someone realized a mistake was made in season five. Uh, the decor was too nice. But the thing is, I, from what I understand, they reversed the numbers. It wasn't like 9674. It was 9764 or something like yeah, that. 9764 is the Bundys. And what, when mm-hmm. they did, the, when they shot the opening credits, I, I guess all mm-hmm. they did was they reversed the six and the seven. So that's when Steve's duck in the newspaper. But the thing is, if they live next door, it wouldn't be that it would be either 9766 or 9762. Wait, do they live next door or do they live behind? Next door. Okay, because they, they share a they share a yard, so they live next door. Yeah, you know, we talked about that in um that one about the apple. Oh agreeing with oh, my yeah. apple, yeah. And I remember hey. us like debating whether or not they screwed that up or not. I love Al bursts in, you know, he kicks in the door. tied you up and smeared you with marshmallow fluff? Well, that is sick. Yeah. (laughs) Pervert. Al, is that you? Why are you dressed as She was hysterical. Clearly needed to be subdued. Yeah, uh, whatever you say, Chief. This is going to look great on cops. Wait a minute. You mean I'm going to be on TV all 
Covered in fluff? <laughs> Our work here is done. Let's go get that punk. And what goes off is a cuckoo clock. And I, I, I caught this. This wasn't in the original notes, guys. I thought, oh, that's from the wedding show. Remember Bud and Kelly were trying to find a, a wedding gift? And they found a cuckoo clock. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Marcy and Jefferson came over, accused them of stealing it. Feels good to give something special for a wedding. Yeah. They're gonna love this clock. It's an antique. Have you seen our antique cuckoo clock? <laughs> Do you have a warrant? If my sister could form a thought. What she meant to say was, we are sick and tired of being accused of stealing every time someone jimmies open your back door with a crowbar and takes a clock and a pastrami sandwich. <laughs> now we demand an apology. Yeah, and it wouldn't hurt to have pickles in your refrigerator either. <laughs> in other words, it wasn't us. Well, you know, Marcy, we really don't have any proof. <laughs> See, I told you they stole my clock. Jefferson, they must be punished. Something cruel and highly unpleasant. Oh, how about you sit them down and talk to them for a while? <laughs> That's something they'll never forget. <laughs> so you don't like our little talks? Well, we're just gonna have to talk about that. <laughs> Admit it, you always hated Petey. Now, why would I hate something that pops out every 15 minutes screaming, cuckoo, cuckoo, <laughs> every hour, every day, every week, cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> it keeps me up half the night. I've seen Dion Warwick in our damn Psychic Friends Network a thousand times <laughs> because of that clock. And look at my eyes. Look at them. You know how many cucumbers it takes to keep the puffing and the swelling down? <laughs> well, I do. So... Last spring, Petey didn't really just fall into the toilet bowl, did he? I hated that clock. Yes, I tried to kill him! I wanted him out of my life, along with your Elvis plates, and your whips, and your paddles, and your big... Okay, honey. I don't think that's appropriate talk to have in front of the little thieves. And mm -hmm. they were shocked, and Al was... Uh... Or not out, but Jefferson was just mad. He hated that cuckoo clock that goes off like every 15 to 30 minutes. So I understand why Al wanted to shoot it, probably for Jefferson. And then the um, then the answer machine goes off. Hello, this is Jefferson. Bang. And Marcy. <laughs> this is three or four, <laughs> three or four shots. <laughs> And I like that they bring, oh my gosh, I like that they bring back the weird sex life that uh, Marcy and Jefferson have. I shouldn't say weird. Uh, the experimental weird. sex life that they have. Perverts. <laughs> you know, when uh, and later on, when we get to um, uh, the jugs have left the building, I mean, that, that to me, I think was one of the best uh, ones to depict that aspect of their relationship. <laughs> Well, they were they also had their wrists tied and covered under the marshmallows and 
and then the cop guy from cops is there you know with his uh camera and they're like we're gonna be on cops <laughs> someone tied us up and put all this marshmallow on us then now goes back home <laughs> Virgin olive oil, now available virgin-free. <laughs> Take some home tonight. <laughs> this is Sodom and Gomorrah. And I am not hiring any of your harlot clients. Hey! Hey, Tina Yothers is not a harlot. She was the best thing on Family Ties. <laughs> I preferred Skippy. <laughs> insist you take me back to my hotel thanks but uh you're not my type <laughs> so kelly says hey extra extra virgin olive oil now available virgin free she pours the oil on a cabbie's chest takes them home tonight and the sister is just outright she's calling it sodom and gomorrah referring to the bible story and then she tears up these photos uh, we should say this for the viewers who haven't watched the episode there's like 20 dudes and girls all drinking and rolling around on the couch and yeah. stuff. It's a mm -hmm. full party. Yeah. And Bud is on the phone. He is trying to find someone else as a client. And he's talking with Tina Yothers. Now, you know, sister says that she preferred Skippy over Tina Yothers. So. And that's a reference to Family Ties. It was an American sitcom that lasted on NBC for seven seasons, premiering in September 22nd, 1982, and concluding on March, May 14th, 1989. It was created by Gary David Goldberg, and it reflected the move in the United States from cultural liberalism of the 60s and 70s to the conservatism of the 80s. And this was particularly expressed through the relationship between young Republican Alex Keaton, played by Michael J. Fox, and his ex-hippie parents, Stephen and Elise Keaton, portrayed by Michael Gross and Meredith Baxter. And that was a good show. I remember watching that when it first came out before it became yep. a real hit, following yep. Cosby. Yep, I was I was a fan of it back in the day. Yeah. Tina Yothers was born May 5th, 1973. She played one of the children. She was an American actress and singer, and she is best role for known for playing Jennifer Keaton on the hit NBC series of the same name. She was the youngest until uh, Stephen Elise had a kid. And she's also uh, started starting films and TV throughout the 80s and 90s, The Cherokee Trail, Crash Force and Spunk, and The Tonya Harding Story. But the sister likes Skippy better. He was played by Mark Price, born February 23rd, 1968. And he was known for Irwin Skippy Handelman on that TV series. He was the next door neighbor who was somewhat annoying. And by the way, if you want a good show to watch, watch uh, it's a movie. It's called Trick or Treat. Gene Simmons is in it as a radio DJ. And it's about this uh, kid who was into heavy metal and how he's pushed around by people. And that's played by uh, Mark Press. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's saying she's not a harlot. And then Al comes in. Don't you, you dirtbag! Give me back my full shirt! Mike, you getting this? This is my good side. Are you kidding? Nuns in an orgy? Do you have any idea what hard copy will pay for this? <laughs> Talking about gotcha, dirtbag, because he caught the uh, criminal who's wearing a, his bowling t-shirt. That's what tips That's him right. off. That's and, right. And, yeah. and, and the shirt says Al. Yeah. And we have a note from Annabelle. So um, 
Now, and only Annabelle, I think, would notice something like this. So if you check the photos while uh, the sister and Bud are at the kitchen table, uh, mm-hmm. she, she recognizes at least one of the photos is Ke- Kelly and the other one is Bud in uh, the M- Married with Children promo shots from previous years, probably from around maybe season five. And mm-hmm. also both David Faustino and Christina Applegate were in Family Ties episode each. So uh, Faustino was in To Snatch a Keith in 1982 and Christina Applegate in Band on the Run in 1987. Wow. Did not know that. So she calls it a fleeting shot of the Bundy's fourth wall. Can I just say how horrible that nun is being by? Look, if you're looking at headshots and other uh, resumes and stuff, if you don't like them, don't rip them up in front of the agent. The agent needs those. Yeah, book him. No, not him. Him. He destroyed my home. He shot my cuckoo. He's not even a real cop. Or a real father. Or much of a host. Very photogenic. Doesn't it mean anything that I apprehended this vicious criminal? Yeah, it means that you're going away for impersonating an officer. (laughs) I hope you fry. Back at you. Then we have cops ca- cameraman taking pictures of uh, taking a video of Al mistreating that guy. And then a good cop comes in, an actual cop who is competent and knows what he's doing and carries Al off. Not without his taser, though. He has to have his taser. Actually, those were stun guns back then. And just let everyone know, if you jam yourself in your carotid artery with a stun gun, that'll likely kill you. Yeah, which he did to both Marcy. Well, OK, I almost said to both Marcy and Jefferson. He did it to Marcy and Jefferson did it to himself. Yeah, left that out. And then Al is hauled away by the police once again. But at least it got to be on cops, right? The, the, the videographer for cops, he says, do you know, have any idea what hard copy will pay for this? Hard copy was an American tabloid news television show that ran in syndication from 1989 to 1999. Hard copy was aggressive in its use of questionable material on television, including gratuitous violence. The original hosts of hard copy were Alan Frio and Terry Murphy. Frio left the series after the 90 to 91 season and was succeeded by Barry Nolan in the fall of 91. Nolan and Murphy would say stay until after the 97, 98 season when they both departed. In the show's final season, Kyle Kraska took over as the sole host. And Hard Copy did a piece on Terry Weigel in 1991. And on Christina Applegate, her, her stalker super fan. That was part of that trend of uh, what I called infotainment journalism, which I hate with a passion. <laughs> I think that's there was the precursor of what we have now. And Bill, uh, Bill O'Reilly was on one of those. I can't remember which one, a current affair, I think. But anyway. it's, got you, it's got YouTube quality written all over it. Oh, exactly. You could tell. But people eat that crap up, though. So I know that's why it's built for <laughs> ratings and nothing else. Wait, wait, sister. I, I just thought of the most brilliant idea. I have the perfect client for your olive oil. That's what you said before. No, no, no. But this time I'm telling you the truth. I mean, she's beautiful. Her schedule is open. And I promise you complete and total abstinence. So use extra, extra virgin olive oil. It's 100 percent pure like me. I can't believe it. You were right. She is perfect. So the deal's still on? Absolutely. 
But uh, in the end, or before we get to that, Bud um, says to the sister, hey, I've got another possible client for you. And then we oh, find you need out. A, you need a woman who never has any sex. Got yeah. it. <laughs> Total <Yeah>. abstinence. <laughs> I mean, and that's true. Because in the end, you have Peggy there trying to sell the extra virgin olive oil. And what happens? A cute guy goes right by her and she pinches him in the butt, just like her daughter. Man, I am so jealous of this uh, this guy. He gets to have his butt squeezed by both Christina Applegate and Katie Sagal. Mm. It's time for no man to take a little break in the jiggly room. I'm the DJ and I'm going to play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry With Children. Keep your hands on the car. I'm doing my job. as it happens. All suspects are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Yeah. So lucky. Then we have the payoff with Tina Yothers, who actually appears on this show. What kind of agent are you? That commercial was perfect for me, and you sent in your mother? (laughs) Tina, baby, I got bigger plans for you. Right, like that last great job you got me? Playing pebbles and Flintstones in the park? You said you wanted to return to the stage. That was a lame gig. It rained all week, and that bitch Dino kept trying to upstage me. (laughs) I've had it with you. You're fired. Tina, I I thought you were happy with me. But I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard this. I faked it. (laughs) Yeah, what the heck was that? I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, same here. I mean, it, it was nice to see her, but I'm like, huh. like, I mean, it was just, it was just random. I mean, it didn't, I mean, I feel like, you know, Tyler, you've said this before in the podcast. It's like, they might've just had like, Hey, I know Tina Yothers and we could get her on the show, <laughs> but I felt like she was shoehorned in. Oh, 100%. Right. I, you know, like, I mean, they could have been set up a little bit more. Like they could have gone almost with like a family ties. They could have done more like family ties dialogue. If they had had to talk about her from the beginning of the episode and in the middle and at the end, someone needed to have been talking to her on the phone. She should have been the first person to do the olive oil thing like she should have been a her name should have been a constant presence. Then it would have been pretty awesome to have her just appear. Right. Yeah. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children podcast. 
Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. So we are back. Tyler, how many bottles of pure olive oil are you going to pour over to the others? Hell, uh, uh, oh god that's disgusting okay well i'm so sorry miss yothers but you're gonna have five bottles of olive oil poured on you in fact she with the except sole exception of the, of teeny yothers final her appearance and that was a post episode end like a post credit kind of thing so it, it's not going to affect my rating at all i didn't like that besides that i can't think of a single thing wrong with this episode like i said before thematically both uh both plots kind of go together with two di- with two actors playing roles that are different from their actual roles that are both given credence by official people. You got Al with officer Dan pretending to be a cop and you got Peggy and you got uh, Kelly with uh, the nun pretending to be, well, not a nun, but as chase as a nun. And then you've got, they never linger too long on either scenes. Uh, Sorry. They never linger too long with either plot. So you're constantly knowing where you are, where what's going on. Uh, Luigi brought it up a lot of great Abbott and Costello lines with just a lot of interesting guest stars um, with, okay, maybe not stars, but nobody stealing the scenes and everyone just bringing it all. The, the nun, that old lady with the cat in the tree, the cab driver, the, the, the cops guy, everybody is just giving it their, their all. And Honestly, I was surprised to see an episode that just shocked me at how great it was in season 11. Luigi, how many bottles of pure olive oil are you going to pour on Tina Yothers? <laughs> well, Tina, I hope you appreciate four bottles of olive oil, right? Extra, extra virgin. Uh, I, I enjoyed this episode. It was funny. Uh, you know, we're in the third episode of season 11. I'd say that the format, as we've sort of discussed already by, by this point, has changed dramatically. We have these prologues now, uh, and we also have pretty much a lot more scene changes. You know, we really don't, you know, by the end of the series now, we're not spending all of our time in that living room. And to get comedy, you know, they're leaving that living room, but they're also sort of jumping around. I mean, they go from, you know, the living room to the Darcy's to out on the beat to the shoe store. Now, maybe not necessarily in this episode, but, you know, there's a lot of scene changes and a lot of um, a lot of change to that format that I think that brought the magic. And, you know, this is when the series is starting to fade away and they're maybe doing their victory lap, which they don't know is their victory lap as, uh, you know, even... Uh, Michael Moyer discussed for us, but this was good. I mean, I'm not going to give it a five because I feel like some of that Abbott and Costello type humor uh, got a little old on me. 
<laughs> uh, you know, I probably would have appreciated just a little bit of it and then maybe moved on to something else, but they sort of stuck with that. Uh, the, the whole Tina Yothers thing at the end just didn't make any sense, you know, complete shoehorn in Tyler. I think you're right. I mean, it should have, they should have maybe had a theme where they begun, they began the episode with it and stuck with it. Uh, and I think that would have made the payoff with her better at the end. So that's why I'm not, I can't give it a five. But I'm going to come up with a four, which I think is a very solid score for season 11. Well, I, too, am going to pour uh, four bottles of extra virgin oil on Tina Yothers. I agree with you, Luigi, on many things. The, the, the Tina other things at the end, that was, it didn't work for me. Not No disrespect to her, but uh, it was just not done well. And on top of that... I thought the payoff was better with Peg with the bottle of virgin oil pinching that guy's butt like Kelly did earlier. That would have been a much better payoff at the end. And this is typically why I don't like rag sheets on uh, television shows. Because usually, that's what they're usually called, rag sheets, because they wipe up and clean up everything. And I just don't care for those. I thought the prologue was much better than... The last one I reviewed with Tyler on Twisted. That prologue seemed a little disjointed. This one seemed a whole lot better. You said everyone was having fun. That's what I really appreciate about this one. I wished, uh, and I love Officer Dan. I thought it was great to see him do a lot more. He hasn't done that much in Mary with Children in a while, and probably not since they were putting up that satellite TV dish. So there you have it. That's what we think. Tell us what you think on the Facebook page. Well, that's it for this episode. Hope you tune in for our next adventure when Team Australia reviews Requiem for a Chevy Wake. Al's beloved Dodge is fading away. Through a frantic emergency operation, Al manages to stabilize the Dodge's condition, but it needs constant life support. Since he is unwilling to let the Dodge go because he has such fond memories of his father and this car, he calls for a car doctor who sees that the Dodge needs a new fuel pump transplant. Since those fuel pumps are a rarity, the doctor suggests the car can be harvested for spare parts instead. That would sell for a high price. However, it's completely unacceptable to Al. So he fights to keep the Dodge alive and looks for a new fuel pump Peg and the kids already start auctioning off, though, the spare parts. So, tune in next week, and remember, until then... Welcome, Dana. Whoa!